Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac New Zealand. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a General Practitioner, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Vicky McFarlane. Vicky worked as a GP for over 19 years in a diverse range of practices before starting her work here at CADS in Auckland in 2010. Her current role is as the Clinical Lead of the Detoxification Service in Auckland. Welcome, Vicky. The title of this podcast is Monday Morning Methamphetamine and we are going to discuss some cases that have come across your desk. Before we start, are you able to tell us please how common methamphetamine use is, who is using it, and how they're using it? Sure. So methamphetamine use appears in the media um, often, um, but I think the, um, the, the prevalence of use is... Um, is variable depending on where what what information you're you're looking at. So the latest um, national survey would indicate that actual use is going down and had reduced from two point two percent to 09 percent. But if you look at other sources of information around methamphetamine use in New Zealand, including a um, a very large online drug survey, um, the Global Drug Survey that was done last year, you'd see that the incidence or the of of the last year use would be around five percent. And then we look at seizures, um, police seizures, which seem to be going up, as well as um, wastewater analysis, which would indicate that there's um, um, increasing prevalence of use. And I think the other um, recent um, study done by Chris Wilkins from Mass University um, that some people may be aware of would suggest that methamphetamine is, is easier to acquire than cannabis um, now throughout the country. So I would estimate somewhere between one and three people out of 100 would have used methamphetamine in the last year. But I think it's important to remember that of those people, only 15% of people are um, defined as dependent, that is using more than once a week. And the other 70 to 80% are experimental users or social users and really have got no problems with, me, with, with their methamphetamine use. I think the other thing, important thing is to consider is why people are using methamphetamine and who might be using it. Uh, people use methamphetamine for a variety of reasons, maybe for... Um, for, for being able to study longer periods of time, to concentrate, uh, to be more sociable. There is um, a use of methamphetamine in a, in a sexual context. Um, and then there are people that are uh, driving long distances in trucks, people who are studying long hours. So I think, you know, um, you, you can't... Uh, you, you, anybody could be using methamphetamine for a number of reasons. Um, clearly, uh, the evidence would suggest that the people who develop problematic use, though, do tend to be younger men um, in general. So how do people use methamphetamine? So the majority of people in New Zealand still would smoke uh, methamphetamine. It comes, um, pure methamphetamine comes in a crystalline form usually that people buy. Um, and then they put it into what's called a, um, a pee pipe. People who are dependent on methamphetamine and using higher amounts will um, in often inject methamphetamine and the percentage of people that are injecting methamphetamine in New Zealand is actually going up. Of course, um, that is associated with uh, increased harms predominantly around uh, bloodborne viruses as well as um, increasing dependence. Thank you, Vicky. So the rest of this podcast, we're going to talk around um, some cases. So the first case is a 39-year-old Maori 
man who attends reporting some left-sided chest pain which has been present for the past two hours. It's constant and associated with slight shortness of breath and some radiation into the left arm. He's got a history of hypertension and two previous visits to ED with a similar chest pain. Tell us about this case, Vicky. So this was a case I actually saw when I was working in a, um, in a clinic in South Auckland. Methamphetamine is uh, associated with a release of dopamine, very high levels of dopamine, but it's also associated with release of noradrenaline and serotonin. And so when people use methamphetamine, especially at higher levels, they're going to have um, often a uh, tachycardia and hypertension. And um, these will predispose people to developing cardiovascular um, problems, especially if they've got coexisting risk factors. So in this case, um, you know, I would be uh, suspicious that this young man ha was having um, a cardiac chest pain related to his methamphetamine use. Um, and interestingly, I think previous uh, attendances at ED, no one had ever asked this man about um, his substance use. Uh, and um, clearly the presentations with hypertension and chest pain were related to use of methamphetamine. So there's a number of studies now um, looking at methamphetamine-associated uh, cardiomyopathies and development of congestive cardiac failure, and a study done in South Auckland at Middlemore Hospital um, of a series of 30 people who are presenting to Middlemore Hospital with uh, left ventricular failure. So really adverse outcomes in that group of clients, all young, high rates of Māori, and uh, you know, poor, poor outcomes, as I say. So I think the message around this is to, to be alert to it. If you do see someone um, young, young male, it's good to ask about use of methamphetamine. Next person who rolls through our door is a 25-year-old man. He reports that he's been spied on by gang members who live down the road. He's also having some hallucinations and he's asking us for some medications. Yeah, so this kind this is raises the um, the the issue of methamphetamine induced psychosis, which most people have probably heard about. Um, so methamphetamine induced psychosis is appears to be more common in people who are heavy users of methamphetamine, especially people who have used it for a long period of time and who are um, injecting methamphetamine. So often presents with pe people become paranoid, they may have um, persecutory delusions, They, um, if they do have hallucinations they tend to be more auditory, um, occasionally only occasionally visual hallucinations. Um, so I mean, so I, I, I imagine you know coming to a general pra practice. The important thing is the um, associated with the paranoia can be associated a little bit of um, agitation and a little bit of uh, um, irritability. So important to um, try and engage the person and uh, try and perhaps think about taking them to a quiet place where they can. Um, not be overstimulated. The other thing would be to um, think about uh, medication. I, I, in some cases, you may need to think about that. There's uh, various studies, but in general, uh, a low dose of an antipsychotic is probably, I think, the best thing to think about initially. In hospitals, they will also use uh, benzodiazepines, but in primary care, I think perhaps um, need to be cautious about that. So the message I, I, if, 
would be that if somebody is presenting to primary care with a psychosis that um, you manage the initial presentation by um, de-escalating and calm environment, possibly look at some antipsychotics. I mean, most cases of methamphetamine-induced psychosis will resolve if the person is able to maintain abstinence from methamphetamine. That may or may not be possible in um, home environment, and so it may be appropriate to make a referral through to the hospital um, or to the mental health services. In, in about a third of people, they may have a, an, you know, a more longer-term uh, psychotic symptoms, um, and that, that could be an unmasking of an underlying psychosis. So, but, but that would be something that would be determined by the mental health people in looking at the temporal relationship between their methamphetamine use and their um, development of psychotic symptoms. So you mentioned antipsychotics. Sure. Is there a first line one that we should be aware of or considering? Well, I think olanzapine seems to be the, the drug of, that, that is used most often um, in the hospitals and in the emergency departments. So I would recommend trying olanzapine in the first instance, uh, usually two and a half milligrams initially. So our next case is a 24-year-old female. She's 24 weeks pregnant in her first pregnancy. She's been referred in by her midwife after she disclosed that she's been using methamphetamine. What are the risks to this pregnancy, both from the woman's point of view and also the unborn child? Yes, so the pregnancy and methamphetamine situation is still, I feel, difficult to be clear about. The studies are all um, in women who often are living in um, situations where they're using other substances. They've also often um, got lots of some social difficulties around poverty, um, domestic violence. And, and like I say, the, they're often using other substances, and especially smoking cigarettes, um, high rates of using cannabis. So it's really difficult to tease out the effects of the methamphetamine from the other substances. So overall, though, most people will stop using methamphetamine when they find out they're pregnant. So only a small percentage will actually continue to use throughout pregnancy. And if in that group of people there's some evidence that it would um, is associated with low birth weight. There are some studies that show that it may be associated with an increased risk of preeclampsia. And there's also, um, in, the, in that group of babies following birth, there's a small, a, some increased stress response following delivery, but not a full-blown neonatal abstinence syndrome. Follow-up studies on children up until the age of actually 14 now um, shows a minimal effects on cognitive functioning. There was a study where they had one cohort in New Zealand um, called the IDEAL study. It was published over a couple of years ago. And in that cohort, they had 32% um, of those patients, of those women, were, were Māori. But again, high rates of cannabis use, high rates of nicotine use. And actually, the only group that had adverse outcomes um, in the long-term follow-up were young Māori, the Māori boys in that, in that study. And researchers weren't able to clearly state that it was due to the methamphetamine, but was probably more due to the social determinants of health. Yeah, so I think counselling your pregnant patients, clearly it's of um, benefit for them to stop using methamphetamine during pregnancy, but methamphetamine doesn't appear 
to be as harmful as, for example, alcohol. Our next case is of a 35-year-old male. He's requesting advice on withdrawing from meth. He's been using about half to one gram intravenously three to four times a week. Tell us about what we'd need to do here, Vicky. So methamphetamine withdrawal is quite challenging for patients who are dependent. Um, clearly the, the level of withdrawal and the severity of withdrawal is related to their level of use. So in someone like this using one gram three times a week, I would expect that their withdrawal would be quite significant. So in general, people who stop using methamphetamine would uh, have a, a one to three day, what's called a crash, where they would just basically go to bed for three days because um, a large percentage of, of patients have, are quite sleep deprived. Um, and then they wake up on about day four or so and become highly agitated, very irritable, crave to use the drug, often uh, are... Um, very intolerant and get quite angry and that would last around about five or six days maybe up to ten days so during that period of time patients will sometimes need some medication to support them through that we use quetiapine in our inpatient unit when we're supporting people to detox off methamphetamine and we would use um, depending on a person's prior experience with with quetiapine we would use a, a dose very varied varying from 12 and a half milligrams up to up to two or three hundred milligrams a day for those few days benzodiazepines have been used in other parts of, in other places but my recommendation is again to be cautious around using benzodiazepines for to manage methamphetamine withdrawal they don't tend to be as effective as quetiapine. Um, there is a risk of, of misuse and there's a risk of people developing a dependency on the benzodiazepines. Uh, Short-term use of Zoplone mm, for sleep disturbance, but for no longer than four or five days would be what I would recommend. The other part of the methamphetamine withdrawal process is that once that acute phase is over, there's a very prolonged period of time, sometimes up to a year to 18 months, depending on how dependent people have been on methamphetamine, of feeling generally not very, very well, very good. So because methamphetamine is caused depletion of dopamine and serotonin, uh, people's mood tends to be low, people lack energy, their appetite tends to go up, so they sometimes will gain weight, um, they are not, don't feel motivated, um, and they really do struggle, and it is um, obviously a high, a high risk of relapse during that period of time. So there are no, no evidence-based medications to help people through that period of time, but uh, consideration of a, starting a, an antidepressant you know, would be reasonable. And do these patients always require inpatient No, medicine? no. So um, inpatient withdrawal is really only necessary if the person has got coexisting mental health problems or coexisting physical health problems or has failed to stop using methamphetamine in the community within the community multiple times or their use is extremely heavy the other complicating factor during withdrawal is that 
often patients are using and other substances. So um, high numbers of our dependent methamphetamine patients are using either benzodiazepines, alcohol, or GHB, which is a, um, a drug which is quite commonly used together with methamphetamine nowadays, and that can be associated with quite a severe withdrawal syndrome. So, so inpatient withdrawal is needed in people who are using those substances dependently alongside the methamphetamine. The other thing to say is that the rate of relapse is high in this group of patients, so we generally don't admit people for an inpatient detox unless they've got some kind of residential program planned after they've left our unit. So Vicky, that same patient wants to know about treatment options, both in the community and residentially. Can you tell us about those options, please? Sure. So following a, a withdrawal from methamphetamine, and uh, like I say, in a heavy user, we would be recommending they consider residential programs. So the residential programs available in Auckland would include the Bridge Program, so that's the Salvation Army Bridge Program. That's an eight-week program. Um, and there are Salvation Army Bridge Programs in Mount Eden, in Waitakere, and in Manukau. And patients need to approach the bridge and attend some um, pre-admission groups in order to access that service. There is um, Odyssey House, which is um, a program that's up to a year. The Odyssey House got a variety of programs available, including a youth program a um, and a parenting program so where mothers can go with their children. There's also a coexisting um, conditions program, which is particularly good for people with coexisting mental health problems. Uh, and then the other services available would be the uh, Higher Ground, which is an 18-week residential program. Uh, difficulty for some of our patients accessing high ground is that they have to come off all of their psychoactive medications. But high ground is, is an 18-week program. Then there is Wings Trust, which tends to be um, associ is associated quite closely with higher ground, and people will often go there before higher ground. And the other options would be private options, of which there are two or three in Auckland at the moment. As far as uh, community-based treatment, there, uh, obviously there's the Community Alcohol and Drug Services, which is a regional service that provides outpatient counselling to people. Um, and there are a number of yeah, um, non-governmental organisations that will provide support to, to people as well. So I think the important thing uh, the evidence would suggest is patients remaining engaged with treatment, whether or not whether or not that's a residential program or whether or not that's community based. It's having a good relationship with a counsellor and ongoing support in the lot for the long term to help them maintain abstinence. So using CBT um, approaches. Uh, and as a GP, I mean, your role really can be, you can play a role in that, I think. And using um, motivational interviewing as well to continue to encourage them to engage. So our final case, Vicky, 
is the parents of a 28-year-old male, and they're requesting some advice for compulsory treatment for their son who's using methamphetamine, and he's at significant risk of harm. What do we do here? So in February 2018, a new act was implemented. So that was the um, Substance Addiction Compulsory Assessment and Treatment Act. That is an act that allows for a family member or a concerned person to make an application for compulsory treatment. The application is sent to CADS in Auckland and then we uh, investigate or have a look into the um, application and then, if appropriate, we would arrange for a medical certificate to be uh, obtained. So as a GP, you may be uh, asked to complete a medical certificate to accompany, the, to, to accompany the application under this Compulsory Treatment Act. And then the patient would be assessed by an uh, approved specialist. And then if deemed um, that they fill the criteria for this act, then they would be placed under the act. The initial uh, period of time is for up to 56 days. And that can be renewed for another 56 days if they have had a previous uh, head injury uh, or brain injury and, and the responsible clinician or a doctor looking after them thinks that they would benefit from a further period of time in treatment. So that would be uh, an option for, these, for the, these parents to consider for their son. And to conclude our podcast today, Vicky, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners, please? So the take-home messages would be that methamphetamine is absolutely a problem in New Zealand at the moment, as evidenced by the increased levels of, of use and the presentations to the hospital. So we need to be aware in primary care of those harms and how to approach those. So the harms are in particular, I think, that we need to be aware of are around cardiovascular risk, around psychosis and mental health problems, and I think about how to support people that want help with their substance use. Because if we can engage people in treatment before they become dependent, then we obviously that will really help reduce the harm that they may suffer from using methamphetamine. I also think that if we have a better understanding of methamphetamine, we will be able to reduce stigmatisation and help improve engagement with services. Thank you, Vicky. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.